Amplify Church, I'm so glad that you joined me today. We've had a beautiful time of worship and we're going to jump into the word. A couple of things I want to tell you. First of all, we have brand new Amplify t-shirts. You need to get one. They're $10 and the cost of the t-shirts help us raise money for an AED that we're trying to buy for the new property. So you can get a shirt and uh, they're comfortable. The last shirts we made were horrific. I'm going to say that up front. They were tight. They, they got, they snugged in all the wrong places. Horrible, right? These are not those. They're comfortable, but they're not going to be uh, crazy fitting. And um, so you grab one. And um, one, of, one of the attenders of our church, Noah, he actually showed up one of our uh, first Sundays coming back with another church's shirt. And then he covered up the church's name and put Amplify. I love that. So Noah, uh, please get a shirt. And, uh, and you also watching, you can grab a shirt as well. And uh, we miss you, but we know that you are safe and that makes us happy. And it's okay that you haven't come back yet. Uh, we'll keep you both in the loop online and throughout the church uh, year with email or through the months with email and with social media. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I've gone through the list of people who are here and people who are not here. And I'm literally praying for you if you're not here, because I want you to know that you're, are, you are missed, that the Lord is with you, that if for some reason you couldn't come back for physical reasons or um, a fear or just trying to be safe or the season of people around you, that you, you know, you don't know what, hey, I'm not judging you. I'm just praying for you. And I want you to know that I love you. I mean, I really mean that. Crystal and I are praying for you. Uh, the gospel message moves on despite this pandemic and all that has happened and all the unrest. Uh, but we move forward in faith and we know that you're coming along with us on that journey. And um, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit leads us in these days. Well, I took a couple of uh, weeks to be on vacation and um, and when I did, I did some reading and some reflecting, and I know my next season of life is going to be crazy, so I just want to rest, kind of as Jesus did when he pulled away to, to pray and to um, just be quiet and be away from people. And as much as I love people, I needed a break. And uh, my wife gave me the indication I needed a, a vacation, and she was not suggesting that, which was time to take a vacation. And yet, when I was on vacation, I read um, this. I want to communicate it to you this way. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. And because of this, we are free. Don't you love that? Jeremiah, he spoke about uh, freedom, and he did a great job two weeks ago. And then Pastor Sam spoke uh, last week about um, that God looks on the heart, not the outward appearance, and it was a, a fantastic sermon. And last week we opened up our nursery for the younger um, Amplify uh, attenders, um, for the nursery and for those that were that are younger. And, and we put a, a volunteer one on one with a kid, uh, a baby, so that uh, everybody was tested. Everybody had proper equipment on to be safe and and whatever else they needed to do. And they had temperature checks. Uh, but I want to thank the volunteers who did that and Rebecca for um, leading us in that way. We're, we're looking upon going to VBS online and um, and she's given a great uh, push toward that. And then I want to say one other thing. We've been cleaning the facility. Uh, so when you're ready to come back, we're making sure that things are clean and safe and distancing and um, before and during service and uh, between services, uh, after services, we are sanitizing. And Monica Reagan and her team has done a fantastic job in so many ways. We've invested money to make sure we have things and equipment that can clean properly. And um, I'm so thankful for them. I read these words by a guy named Scott Saul, who's a pastor, and he speaks into these times in ways that I can um, 
hear and understand. He, sa- he says this, what a, what a wonderful and humbling reality that God does not treat us as our sins deserve because Jesus was already treated as our sins deserve in life, in death, and in burial. And because of his resurrection, which followed, there is also much work that Jesus has intended to get done, and that comes through you and through me. Acts chapter 1, I want to read that with you today, and I want to talk for just a few minutes about how we should respond in these times, because they're difficult days and they're tense times. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, this is what, it, this is what the writer says. Paul's writing says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, <laughs> right? Like all that he began to do. I mean, the life of Jesus was, was the beginning is what he's saying. And there's all this to come. He finishes by telling us what that is. And verse two, he says, until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he chooses these apostles, he, he instructs them, and he, he is going to leave the Holy Spirit with them. After his suffering, he presented himself, meaning after his death on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, they're still thinking Jesus is going to be king of a location or a geography or, or take over a, like an earthly king. And he said to them, speaking in spiritual terms, it is not for you to know the time or the date the Father has set by his own authority. Speaking of when Jesus would, would eventually return. If somebody tells you they know, they do not know. If somebody says the end times are near, they are because every day we get closer. But they do not know when those days will happen, when that day will happen. The most important day of your life is your last day on earth because, because you will have to, at that moment, have made, at the point at which you have your last moment, the right decision about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not gambling my life away, hoping I figure out when that is. I just want to be ready. And so the Bible says that in verse eight, but you will receive power, the believer, the, the Christian, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. In other words, the Christian is now the ambassador of what Jesus began and continues to do. The Holy Spirit is the power And we are the representatives to a world that really does not understand the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. So according to the scriptures, we are now his chosen one, that we're sent into the world, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that we take him to the places that we live and work and play. And Jesus's work continues through the Christian. And we're to live as those who are full of grace and truth, until our churches and our ministries and our, um, our lives attract the people who Jesus attracted and by unfortunate necessity, draw criticism from the types of people who criticized him. Gandhi is quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. 
And he, so he admired Christ, but he found it difficult to reconcile how the Christians acted compared to how they said Christ responded. And in his mind, it kept him from becoming a follower of Christ. As a, as a Jesus ambassador, what he's called me and you to be, we need to listen carefully to those kind of statements. We need, we need to carefully examine our lives and the common barriers that stand between the real Jesus and people's false impression of him. Impression which at times have been projected by a watching world, yet have been acted out by sincere, misguided Christians. So I want to I just for a few minutes take some barriers and talk to them. And maybe one will stick out to you today. While I was on vacation, I was reading a book called A Gentle Answer. And the author, this guy named Scott Sauls, he said that the scripture uh, says this, that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I've been applying that in my life these days. When I get that email that just drives me insane, here's a gentle answer. Gentle in the response that I'm going to respond with kindness and with love, but answer in the fact that I'm going to be direct and I'm going to speak to what is happening, but I'm going to be gentle about it. Gentle does not mean I just let things go. I just get run over. But it does mean that I speak in a way that would not stir up someone to be more angry. I can't back you down from being angry, but I cannot stir up your anger while still being kind. I get an email. I get a call. I get a text, something on social media. A family member comes and does something. Hey, your kid does something ridiculous. They don't take the dog out for the 15th time, whatever it is that just make you, but hey, but a gentle answer, it pushes back on that response of anger from them. And, and God is helping me in many ways with that. When I think of barriers that Christians have to wrestle with, I think that we should be people who give gentle answers to help the world see our Christ. And so there, I think there are four barriers that we must wrestle with as Christians that I want to talk to you about today. Um, and Scott Saul's uh, got me on this train of thought. Maybe the, one of these is for you. The first one is the barrier of unforgiveness. The barrier of unforgiveness. I used to be a bigger fan of Saturday Night Live than I am now, but every once in a while I tune into them. And, and um, recently a comedian named uh, Pete Davidson harshly mocked a congressman-elect named Dan Crenshaw. And because of his eye patch and the flippant remarks that were made, he, the comedian said, I know he lost his eye in the war or whatever. And he went on to make his jokes. No one expected that the former Navy SEAL, the decorated war hero, would respond to the insult that he would have received online in the way that he did. He's watching TV probably like us, and he's probably shocked to realize he's the, the butt of these jokes. But the mockery of this war veteran, Crenshaw, this combat-inflicted disability, this joke around this, this wound he received, motivated by Davidson's, the comedian's disdain for his political views, resulted in such a strong backlash that the comedian fell into depression and self-loathing. And he wrote on Instagram this post, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can last. All I've ever tried to do is help people. Just remember that I told you so. 
And having lost his, his eye in combat in Afghanistan due to an explosion, some might have expected that this war veteran, Crenshaw, would say to this comedian, Davidson, well, it serves him right. He could have added to the backlash or simply ignored the comedian, but instead he privately reached out to befriend the young man, to encourage him and speak life into somewhat of a depressing day. And he told the comedian that everyone has a purpose, that God put you here for a reason. And it's your job to find that purpose, he told him. And you should live that way. And instead of firing back, Crenshaw began, this veteran began to build a bridge. And instead of shaming him and scolding him, and he, he spoke tenderly to this young man. Instead of seeking vindication through retaliation, he sought a friendship which made peace and built a bridge. And instead of adding to the cyclone line of outrage and, and the deafening cries, uh, he gave him unconditional love when really the comedian didn't deserve it. And on Veterans Day weekend, the two came face to face on Saturday Night Live to make amends. And this war veteran, Crenshaw, offered warm remarks and highest praise in reference to the comedian Davidson's own father, who was a New York City firefighter who died on September 11th of 2001 during the terrorist attacks when Davidson, this comedian, was only seven years old. And at the end of the segment, when they both thought they were offline and the cameras were, were down, but they were still rolling, this humbled now comedian leaned over to Crenshaw and whispered into his ear, you're a good man. This is the kind of story that makes me stop and reflect. When I'm offended, do I take offense and strike back? Or do I kindly reach out with a gentle answer? The question when applied should make me think about how do I do when I'm at odds with a family member or I'm at odds with a friend or when our views are criticized online or when our children don't listen to us or when our friends mock us or, or when someone rejects us or our faith because of our faith or because of our race or because of our, our social ranking, when we are misunderstood and, and, and in different generations or economic statuses or situations or culture divide us, how do we respond? And in the tension, Jesus says he is there for us and he sends us just like that veteran to that comedian to have a gentle answer for the hope that is with, inside of us, which is always Jesus. How do you not unravel in a season like this where you're stuck inside and, and all you're watching is news and, and social media and you can't be with everybody and it can't be normal and this season continues on? Man, it's Jesus. How do you not self-medicate and, and self-loathe? It's Jesus. How do you make sure your kids know who you, you look to and, and what they should look to? It's the talk around the table about Christ and what he's done for you. And those who of us who identify as Christians should be very quick to forgive. I went through a season of life uh, where every person that I identified as a close friend seemingly, to, in my opinion, walked out on me in a very short season of life. Now, they really didn't, but that's how it felt. It just was hit after hit after hit. And one or two took shots at me kind of on the way out. And it kind of made me bitter. And God continued to deal with me that if you are a Christian, you are forgiven and you must forgive. And as God has worked on my life and given me 
uh, patience and peace about certain situations. What I had to do was own up to the places where I wasn't right and let go of the things I couldn't change. And so then I just decided a gentle answer was a better approach because it didn't stir up the wrath of those who were already angry. Jesus has forgiven me of all my wrongs. Who am I to hold forgiveness from somebody else, even if they don't ask for it? And Jesus offered a gentle answer instead of punishment. And I want to make no mistake about it. Jesus's gentle answer was bold and costly in his day. I mean, he spoke and forgave those. He even on the cross said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Yet he was on the cross as an innocent man. He literally poured out his life, died on the cross, and our gentle answer will be just as costly. But it beckons us to die to ourselves and our self-righteousness and indignation and outrage. In short, because Jesus covered our offenses, we can be among the least offended and the least offensive people in the world. And that's the best gentle answer. The second thing um, is that it would be a barrier not of, only of unforgiveness, but maybe it would be of condemnation. Maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself. I think we have to take personal responsibility for as far as it depends on us to replace the picture of the false Jesus with a real Jesus. The one we find in the scriptures, the one full of grace and truth, who welcomed sinners and ate with them like he did in Luke 15, but was sometimes misunderstood for that, and sometimes accused of being just like them when we know him to have been a, a perfect man with a perfect life. And yet he was sometimes looked down upon because he ate with sinners and forgave those who were kind of nasty and ugly and the outcasts of the society. I want to tell you what modern evangelism looks like in my opinion. A couple of ways. One, as the Spirit leads you as a Christian, you should share Christ at any moment you have this chance. My youngest son wants to know first thing off when he meets you, Daddy, is this person a Christian? And I found myself saying, well, that's, that's not the first question we ask because we don't know. But why shouldn't it be the first thing I think of? Does this person know Christ? If today is their last day, if this is the most important day of their life because it's the last one, and today or tomorrow they meet God, I should know if they're a Christian or not. So when I get the chance, if I get a chance, I share Christ. Uh, I recently had a, a church member tell me that they were at a store and a dispute broke out over of all things, a mask. A mask wearer, a non-mask wearer got into a, a conflict and they started to go back and forth. And this person was talking to me, basically said they calmed each party down and eventually shared Christ with one side of the conflict. I love that. One of the ways that modern evangelism looks like in these days is that when you see somebody struggling or new to an area, area or looking for a church, you invite them to church. Hey, I have a, a wonderful body that I, I fellowship with and love. And, but, but then there's a third way. I think that is in, um, in 2020, there's a new kind of evangelism that's really, really old, actually. And it's this. It's building intentional relationships for a long time into people who may have been hurt or been to church and decided to never go back or never really understood the gospel and I'd have sworn it off. There was a guy in our church named Randy. He came to my house the other day. He was helping me with a tree. He was cutting it down. And, and then we ripped up a bush, do manly things, you know. And, and he said, you know, we go out to lunch or dinner every, every week with a couple. They don't know Christ, but we just, we just love on them. And maybe, maybe one day. I wish I heard that story 
over and over and over. But sadly, I don't. Sometimes we seem to kind of seclude ourselves with only Christians. And yet, yet Jesus, his model was, I'm going to put myself around people that I can influence. Now, we don't want to get out to the point at which we're influenced by all the carnality, but we can influence people for, for years on end and, and intentional investment, giving them the grace and the truth that Christ has. And in that, he can work into the hardest of hearts if he has our investment as his ambassadors. No one, in my opinion, will feel like being around Christians if we beat them to death with the truth and only sprinkle them with grace. But nor will they want to be or hear about our Christ if we offer all kinds of grace and no limits and never present the truth. We've cheapened grace at that point. They can get that mess at home. There's this balance of grace that Christ offers, but the truth that he has some hard things to say and we as Christians have to balance both of those. And we have to present those to our friends as well when they can handle it. The third thing is this, a barrier of separation. Maybe you have believed that separating yourselves and your children and, your, and everything you do from secular people and things is, man, I think that's a huge mistake because he has told us to resist the temptation to be us against them. I mean, he has told us that this world is not our home but he has sent us and as ambassadors to find the people and to speak in the truth. So when they get to their last day, they know the Christ that can save them. And if we seclude ourselves and we're never around people who don't know Christ, how in the world do we show them and tell them about the love of Jesus? They sure aren't hearing as we scream it online or wait for the, the news media to tell it. Or, or some celebrity pastor. It is given to the work of the people to do the proclamation of the gospel. We must be grounded in the word so that we can influence those. But I want to think about this. Think about this for a second. Jesus was, a, was the um, only man when he drew to the world that was sinless. So he did nothing wrong. But it was the religious proud who withdrew from Jesus, criticized him, took offense of him and wished to rid the world of him on a cross. But the question is, what about the prostitutes and the crooks and the drunks and the gluttons and the sinners? These people all wanted to be near Christ and they wanted to hear what he had to say because the prison maybe self-inflicted that they had had found themselves in or maybe society had put them in was was um, was holding them captive. And Jesus gladly offered freedom and forgiveness and grace and go and sin no more. It says that he was a, a friend to the tax collectors and the sinners and those that nobody wanted to be around. And we know that these accusations of him being uh, drunken or glutton were false, that he was accused, but he never, he never failed. He was tempted in every way without sin. And yet Jesus unapologetically was a friend to the least and the lost and to the, to the people who felt ostracized and belittled by the religious community of the day. He was willing to offend the strictest religious people if that's what it took to convince a broken sinner that he loved them and had hope for them. Are we doing that? Jesus was, um, was considered repulsive by religious insiders and a breath of fresh air to religious outsiders. 
Would that describe us? Here's the fourth thing, and maybe this is maybe this is what you struggle with, and maybe not. The barrier, lastly, of pride. Becoming a friend of sinners begins with the understanding that we are much more like the chief of sinners than we are like Jesus Christ. That our approach with people, no matter who they are or what their history might be, must assume the posture of, and I'm still in this from Steve Brown, that we are fellow beggar, beggars humbly telling others where to find the bread. That we are fellow beggars humbly telling others where to find the bread. We are not Jesus. We strive to be like him, but we are not him. We are closer to the chief of sinners. God forgive us. And in that forgiveness and in that remembering of who we are, like when we take communion and we remember the sacrifice of Christ, we really want to be impacting for the gospel because of the grace and the truth that has changed our life. And we need people to see a humility that sometimes escapes us when we get away from the day we've been saved and the day we've been baptized and the day that we got sanctified and the day that um, children got saved and sanctified or, or husband and wife joined at an altar and prayed or um, that God would, would be the center of their marriage. When we get away from that and we get too used to being like Jesus, in our minds, but not really in our uh, physical uh, relationships and with our money and with our holiness lifestyle. If we're not acting that out, we fool ourselves and get a false pride that begins to block the gospel's effectiveness to those who need it most. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was not above humbling himself. In, Revelation, or in Romans chapter 7, he gives us a window into his personal struggle of coveting. A sin that nobody would have even known about had he not confessed it. Had he not told us, no one would have known that he was struggling with this. And in Timothy, Paul identifies himself as the chief of all sinners. And if, G if people are around us, if they're going to be changed by the gospel, then they're going to have to hear that our deepest wounds and sins were covered and healed by Christ. And to this day, we can't get over what he's done in our life. Man, I love you. I'm praying for you, but I'm praying mostly that in this season where everything is chaotic and everybody's angry and everybody's mad and everybody wants to take a side. And if you take a side, you're, you're right with some people and wrong with others. If you don't say anything, you're wrong with both sides. There's no win. And yet the gospel says, be a gentle answer and give a hope for the reason inside of you. Maybe today you've wrestled with one of these barriers. Well, Christ wants to move you past that into freedom. God, we love you today. I thank you so much for what you've done in our church. I thank you for the days ahead. But Lord, I pray, God, help us to never have things that come between us and those you want to reach. God, help us to do anything possible short of sin to reach those. God, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be holy, but we want, to, we want to commune with those who don't understand the gospel. And Lord, may it be a refreshing breath of air to them spiritually when our lives interact with them. God, give us strength in these days. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Love you.